your Bibles, if you can turn with you to the book of Matthew, we're going to be at the very end of the book of Matthew in chapter 28, just while you are finding your way there. Um, if you were here, I can't remember if it was two or three weeks ago, uh, Pete was involved in leading worship and he uh, started talking about the Lion King. Were you here? Do you remember? Obviously you were here. I don't know why I'm looking at you, Pete. You were here. You shared it. Um, and he was sharing about the bit in the film where Right at the very start, when Mufasa, so he's uh, the, the lion, he's the king of the animal kingdom, and he presents his newborn son, Simba, to, to the rest of the animal kingdom. I'm imagining a lot of people have seen this film. You know the bit I'm talking about, right, where he raises it up, and um, I don't, maybe I was the only person that, I'm sure I wasn't the only other person, I nearly broke into song. You know the bit where he goes, no, just me, or was anyone else really tempted to do that? No? All right. Um, I was so tempted to do that, but interesting fact for you, what they're actually saying there is, are you ready for this? If you wanted to know what they were singing, they say, there comes a lion. Oh, yes, it's a lion. That's what they're singing. So sounds beautiful in Zulu. Sounds amazing. Perhaps less profound in English, but there you go, just in case you were curious there. But um, as Pete was talking about it, he was uh, saying, he was saying how he'd been watching it and it had reminded him of the verses in Scripture where it says, actually, uh, one day every knee will bow before Jesus. There'll be that sense where everyone sees him as he truly is and they all bow down, just as in that film as they do before the king. And there's a, I was thinking on that and there's another bit later on in the film where Mufasa, he takes uh, Simba and they look out over, um, over the area that they're in. Do you remember this bit? And he says, everything that the light touches is our kingdom. He's saying, look, this is, these are the boundaries of our kingdom. This is where your rule and your, in a sense, where your authority and your reign extends to. Everything that you can see, this is your kingdom. See, here's the thing. Every king or every ruler must have a kingdom. It follows, right? If you're a king or a ruler, then you have a kingdom that you rule and reign over. And the reason why I've been thinking about that and the reason why I say it now is because Jesus himself, he spoke predominantly about the kingdom of God. What you'll find is that Jesus spoke very little about the church. Very little about the church. But he spoke predominantly about the kingdom of God. And if it's the thing or kind of the key thing that Jesus spoke about or spoke predominantly about, then it shows us that the kingdom of God is something of great importance, doesn't it? If that was the focus of, of Jesus' teaching and his attention. You see, as Jesus moved about as he traveled, as he went from town to town and village to village, as he was teaching, we're told in scriptures that he went proclaiming the coming kingdom. That's what he did when he went around. He was telling people, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is coming. There is something that's going to change where the kingdom of God is going to break in and the kingdom of God is going to come. A lot of the stories he told, a lot of the parables, he told many parables about the kingdom. Trying to get people to understand. It's a difficult concept for us to get our heads around. I think Jesus knew that. So he told it in parables, stories, with a bit of a meaning. To get us to help people to understand what the kingdom was about. But again, that was the focus of a lot of the parables that he told. Not only that, he also commissioned his followers to be those that brought in the kingdom. In Matthew 10, uh, verse... Uh, in Matthew 10. Uh, so he sends out the twelve apostles. And he says this... He says, from verse 7, it says, Proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he'd given them this message that they needed to take. But then he continued. He said, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without pay and give, give without pay. So there's this proclamation of the kingdom, but there's also a demonstration of the activity of the kingdom. Can you see that? When he's talking about healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, casting out demons, actually there's an activity 
of the kingdom that accompanied the message that they were to bring. Now today is Palm Sunday. Mike uh, based what he was sharing last week on, on the verses. I, th- I can't remember whether it was through Matthew or through, through another of the Gospels, but he, was, he based what he was saying in, uh, on Palm Sunday where Jesus enters into the city of Jerusalem at the beginning of what we would now know as Holy Week. And as Jesus enters into Jerusalem, there are people who are aligning the streets and they're crying out to him and they're celebrating his arrival because they were expecting a king to come. And actually, as Jesus enters into Jerusalem, he's fulfilling prophecy. There's a prophecy that says, behold, your king is coming to you. And it says, if you read in, the, in Matthew's account of it, it actually references this. It's saying these things happened in order that this prophecy is fulfilled. That Jesus' arrival into Jerusalem was the, the king coming and arriving to the people. So the people were expecting a king. And Jesus was their king, but he wasn't their king in the way that they expected. They were waiting. They were expecting, they were hoping for a king who I think would establish a physical kingdom, a physical territory, that he would bring freedom to them, that he would bring them out uh, from, from oppression, from the reign that they were under, and he would establish a new kingdom and a new territory. And I think that's what they're expecting, something in that, in that physical sense. But for many, for many of those that had gathered to see Jesus arrive, as the week unfolded, what they witnessed would not have fitted with what they believed that they were waiting for. And so as a fence of it just wouldn't have correlated with what they were hoping for or what they were expecting. And in these verses that we're exploring today, in Matthew 28, we're actually going to go past Palm Sunday, where Jesus arrived into Jerusalem, with his arrival being hailed as the king. We're going to go past Good Friday, where Jesus was crucified on the cross, where he died on the cross. We're going to go past Resurrection Sunday, where after having been laid in the tomb, Jesus is raised back to life. We're going to go past that. And where we're going to be, we're going to pick up in some scriptures where Jesus is now, the resurrected Jesus is now with his followers, and he's soon to return to be with his father. And in a way, this is one of the last things that he passed on to his disciples before he left. So let's pick up verse 28, uh, chapter 28 from verse 16. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when, he, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So that's what we're going to spend our time thinking about this morning. So why, on Palm Sunday, am I speaking about the kingdom? The reason I I felt led to speak about the kingdom today is because over the last few weeks, Perhaps the last few months I've been hearing and reading a lot of things about the kingdom that have just kind of been working their way around in my head. Things that I've been reflecting on and focusing on and allowing myself to, to really kind of meditate on. So it's kind of come out of that. 
But also, if Jesus spoke so much of the kingdom, then surely it's something that we need to understand. But it's not just something that we need to understand, it's something that we need to live out as well. So that's why I wanted us to speak, why I'm going to be speaking on the kingdom. But why speak on these verses? It doesn't actually say, it doesn't mention the word kingdom in there at all. You might be thinking, well, actually, how does it fit with when we're talking about the kingdom of God? Well, I'm speaking on these verses because these verses, they do speak of the kingdom of God. But they speak of the kingdom of God in light of the events of that first Easter weekend. So I was saying, we've gone past Palm Sunday, we've gone past Good Friday, we've gone past Resurrection Sunday. So the events of that week have happened and now Jesus is sharing this, giving this mission, this commandment to his disciples. So he is actually speaking of the kingdom, but in light of the events of those things that have just happened. And I think these verses speak of what it means to live in the kingdom but also of what it means for this kingdom, this kingdom of God to come. So I want us to think about three things. We're going to focus on three things. The first is what the kingdom of God is. Jesus spoke a lot about it. We kind of need to get our heads around what actually he meant by that and what the kingdom of God is. Then we're going to think about the kingdom coming in your life. And then finally, we're going to think about how we are to prioritize bringing the kingdom. So firstly, what, let's think about what the kingdom of God is is now if we go back to the lion king any excuse to go back to the lion king but the bit where mufasa is telling simba he's saying look everywhere the light touches is your kingdom he's saying look these are the the boundaries of your kingdom these are the boundaries of your territory in the sense that they were, it was a, a geographical area that was theirs their kingdom was a geographical one but the first thing we need to understand that the kingdom of god it's not a geographical area Although the Bible does contain promises that God's kingdom one day will fill the entire earth. If we only think about it solely as a geographical area, then we're, gonna, we, we're kind of going down the wrong track and we're going to miss something very important. You see, Jesus didn't really speak about the kingdom of God in terms of territory. He spoke little about territory, but he spoke more about activity. He spoke about the activity of the kingdom of God. When I was doing lead... Uh, the training that we, uh, that one of the training opportunities that Relational Mission run, we were spent a whole, I can't remember if it was a day or two days looking at the kingdom of God. And I've, I dug my notes out. I've been very helpful as I've been, been preparing for this morning. And in, in the notes it says this, it says that the kingdom of God can be looked at like this. That the kingdom of God is the activity of God that brings the things that he loves, like salvation, life, Joy, praise, strength, healing, deliverance, etc. into our earthly experience. Shall I read that again? So we're talking, the kingdom of God is the activity of God that brings the things that he loves, like salvation, life, joy, praise, strength, healing, deliverance, into our earthly experience. Okay, so it's about us experiencing the things that God loves, the activity of God. And that fits with... Uh, what I read just a moment ago in Matthew 10, where Jesus is telling the disciples to go and proclaim the kingdom, but then there's also activity that accompanies that. Do you remember he's saying, go and heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. So there's the, there's the activity of the kingdom where things that God loves are breaking through into the, into the, the, kind of the, the human experience, so the reality of the world in which we live. You see, the kingdom isn't something that is built, rather the kingdom is something that comes. 
I think it's so important that we, that we understand that. The kingdom is something that comes. It's something that arrives. If you are hoping for a good, a, another good definition of what the kingdom coming looks like, this might be helpful for you. The kingdom now is the living experience of God the Father's dynamic rule and reign through his chosen king, Jesus Christ. So the kingdom now is the living experience of God the Father's dynamic rule and reign through his chosen king, Jesus Christ. So it's about living under the rule and reign of God. And that's where his activity comes about. Because he's the ruler. And what we read and what we've read in Matthew 28 with the commission that Jesus gives, I think it really fits with that definition. Let me explain why. Because at the cross, Satan and death are defeated. Their power is broken. Their power is broken as Jesus bears our sin and bears our shame and takes it to the cross. And he dies for it in order that we don't. And because he himself never sinned, he was able to do that on our behalf. And because he was the one that did it, then whatever power death had and whatever power Satan had is broken. So that's what happens at the cross. But then at the resurrection, what we see is that Jesus, his identity is confirmed in the sense that he is the head of a new humanity. Death could not hold him. And in him raising again, he's established as the head of a new humanity, which is why in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus is able to say this. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's in charge. It's another way of putting it like that. He's in charge. Because true authority belongs to him. And true authority belongs to him because God the Father has given it to him. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's what the Father has given. So when we look at it and, 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 and we're thinking about those verses in the context of the kingdom, essentially what Jesus is saying is, I'm the chosen king. Jesus is the chosen king. And then as we continue through what we were reading in Matthew 28, Jesus, he then speaks of discipleship, doesn't he? He speaks of going and making disciples. And what he's doing, he's calling people, effectively what discipleship is, is living with Jesus as king of your life. That's what being a disciple is. It's living your life with Jesus as your king under his rule and under his reign. Living with him as lord of your life. And as people live with Jesus as Lord of their lives, what they're doing is they're actually living as citizens of God's kingdom. So you're living under the rule and reign of the king, that means you're part of his kingdom. That's what Pete very helpfully brought at the end when he was talking about passports. So actually we belong to a different kingdom now because of what Jesus has done for us. See, the kingdom, we're talking about the kingdom coming. Kingdom comes when Jesus comes to rule and reign in someone's life. The kingdom of God is a huge topic and I think if we're not careful we're in danger of getting quite confused and muddled and actually you, we could easily do a whole series looking at the kingdom of God. But I find that so helpful. It's quite, it seems quite simple but actually it's so hugely important that we understand that the kingdom comes when Jesus comes to rule and reign in someone's life. If you take nothing away from this morning in terms of what the kingdom is please let it be that. See, that's what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. When we talk about being a Christian, that's what it is. It's living with Jesus as Lord of your life. 
living with him as king. So that's a little bit of what the kingdom of God is. So let's now think about the kingdom coming in your life. You see, as we think about what the kingdom is, as we think about what it is to live with Jesus as king of our lives, we might find that there's something of a a wrestling going on within us. Let me explain why I think that is. I've sometimes heard this question being asked, and I think it's quite a helpful one. The question is, what sits or who sits on the throne of your heart? Because if you understand who it is that's on your throne, on the throne of your heart, then you will see who or what it is that informs uh, the choices you make or directs the choices that you make. Because we can all live for something or someone. And actually, we all do. We all live for something or someone. Maybe, if we were to think about actually who sits on the throne of your heart, maybe it's your status. That everything that you do is informed by this sense of of what your status is and wanting to keep your status. Maybe it's about your reputation. Maybe the thought of, of, of what everyone else thinks about you. Maybe that's the thing that informs the decisions that you make in the way that you live your life. Could be money. Could be relationships. It could be power. Could be you. You might be the one who's lord of your life and king of your life. The one. What I mean by that is, if, if it could be you in the sense that you're thinking, I'm going dec- to decide what's best for me. I know what my needs are. I know what my desires are and I'm going to order my life in such a way and live my life in such a way that I'm going to be able to accomplish the things that I want to accomplish and do the things that I want to do. And you know what? It's actually possible for us to do that even when we want to say we want to have a relationship with God. We can still say, I want to have a relationship with God, but I want it to be on my terms where actually I'm still the Lord of my life and I get to decide what's right and what's wrong and what I'm going to give myself to. And here's the thing, we will all submit to or be ruled by someone or something. We all will. That's the reality for all of us. It is possible to want Jesus to fix your life without wanting him as Lord of your life. It's possible to want Jesus to come in and to make your life good and to fix the things that are broken. And you can hear the message of Jesus, and you can hear the good news of the gospel, and you think, actually, I want Jesus to come in and to make a difference and to change my life and to fix my life. But it's possible to do that without wanting him, without wanting him as Lord of your life. That's quite another thing altogether. See, Jesus says, to be a disciple means to observe the things that he teaches. It, there's, it's about... Obedience. Remember, that's what he calls the, the disciples to in the Great Commission. He says, uh, go making disciples of all nations, and then what? Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Obedience is a key part of, dis- of being a disciple. Actually, you can't divorce the two, I don't think. And when we're talking about obedience, this isn't some sort of a harsh obedience where we're obedient out of a fear of repercussion or some sort of an oppressive feeling that we have to obey just because you know there's sort of an an oppression that makes us to do it that that's not the kind of obedience that we're that we've been called to 
I think when I've been speaking about this before, I've used the, the, kind of the terminology of love languages. You'll know about love languages, so the way in which we, different people will express love in different ways and receive love in, in different ways. So it could be, if you're thinking about it, some people might uh, receive love through the form of, of words. Words are important to them, or gestures are important to them, or time is important to them, or gifts. And we also give love in different ways as well. But actually, it's helpful for us to think about love languages when it comes to God. Because God's love language to us is grace. It's about us being given what we don't deserve. We were singing about it, weren't we? Weren't we? This is amazing grace, that you laid down your life, that you would take my place, that you would bear the cross so that I wouldn't have to. And what a great reminder from John, that when we're talking about grace, we're not talking about kind of tiny thimblefuls or half measures of grace. We're talking about grace that's lavished on us that's poured out, that is without measure. That is God's love language to you. That's the way that he demonstrates his love to you through grace, through Jesus dying on the cross for you, that he would bear our sins, that he would bear the cross for us. But it's grace on a daily basis, isn't it? Don't you know that? If you know, if you, if, if you know God, don't you just experience grace every day? And it's not half measures, it's just so abundant and it's not because of anything that we've done to deserve it or earn it it's just because God's decided and chosen to do that for us so God's love language to us is grace and in response our love love language to him is obedience it's about saying Jesus you've done this for me and as a response of what you've done for me as a response of the grace that you pour on me I'm going to live a life of obedience to you See, when we speak about obedience, I don't think obedience is a particularly fashionable word. Generally, if you're, if you're just talking to people about obedience, it might be the sort of thing that people would actually kick against. About, really. It's not a fashionable thing. And actually, if we're thinking about obedience, we can see it as actually obedience being something that restricts our freedom rather than being something that actually leads us into freedom and brings us freedom. But if we are saying that the kingdom of God is about the activity of God that brings the things that he loves, like salvation, life, joy, praise, strength, healing and deliverance into our earthly experience, if we're living in obedience to him, these things, the kingdom of God, are the things that are going to come. See, his ways aren't always easy. They're not always the easiest, but they are always the best. And as Jesus reigns in our life, as we live lives of obedience to him, the kingdom comes. And it's an ongoing, lifelong journey. Now, I've, been, I've not been struggling recently, but I've, I've kind of been wrestling a lot. Maybe I have been struggling a bit with, I'm very aware of stuff that I'm seeing on social media, stuff that I'm seeing on the media, is that the world, if, and I'm speaking in big generalisations here, but in terms of the secular, the secular world, the, the world in which we live, and the time in which we live, I think people are very tolerant of the church as long as we are doing things that they think are, are acceptable. They might think a lot of the things that we do in community are great. A lot of the ways in which we, we love people and care for people 
would be would be very well thought of. But there's a but when it seems to me that when we what we hold to be true does not fit with the secular worldview, there's now this overwhelming pressure for us to keep quiet and for us to to be told that actually the, what we believe does not fit with the way that the world is today. That's what I'm seeing. So I'm talking in big generalizations. This is just the observations that I'm making. Maybe it's something that you can relate to as well. That where the things that we hold true, when it does not fit with the secular worldview, then there's a backlash against us and a backlash against the things that we believe. And we're told to keep quiet. We're told to catch up with the times. We're told to stop being hateful and all these other things. And I've, I've just been, over the last few, few days or so, there's some stuff that's been happening that's just made me be thinking on this. And the place where I get to, I want to learn a lot through the things that I'm hearing. And actually, if, there's, if, if there are things that we need to learn as a church, and the, the ways we approach conversations and things, I think we absolutely need to do that. But the place that I've got to is I pray the way that Jesus taught us to pray and saying, God, your kingdom come. Because I feel like sometimes that's the only place that I can go. Because that's the only way that I think things are going to change. And when we, when we pray in God your kingdom come, we're praying that God will move and Jesus will come to rule and reign in people's lives. Isn't it? That's what we're praying. God your kingdom come. We're saying, God, will you come and rule and reign in people's lives? But I'm going to say this. There's a warning that we need to be aware of if we're praying for God's kingdom to come. I saw this on Twitter and it stopped me in my tracks Someone called Cole Brown had said, any time we pray for God's, God's kingdom to come, we are praying for our own kingdom to fall. Okay? Every time we pray for God's kingdom to come, we are praying for our own kingdom to fall. What I think they mean is that it's not just about praying for God's kingdom to come in other people's lives, but allowing God or inviting God to keep working in us as well. Because it is possible that actually we say that we, we follow God and we say that we want God's kingdom to come, but actually God's coming will challenge things that we've built our life on and things that we're giving ourselves to and things that we are living for. So I think first and foremost, if we're praying for God's kingdom to come, we need to be aware God may well start with us first. We need to be aware of that and be ready for it. But that's a good thing that he's going to be doing it. See, we can't have two kingdoms operating at the same time. It doesn't work. We can't live with the kingdom that we, where we rule and reign and we decide what's best for us and what's right for us. We can't live in that while at the same time saying we, we belong to the kingdom of God. Those, it's just not compatible. And that it will come where there'll be conflict and we have to decide actually whether we're going to fully submit to, to the way that God wants us to be or not. I think sometimes we need to ask, is Jesus Lord of my life? Is he fully Lord of my life? And sometimes that means actually we need to make adjustments to the way that we live in. Actually, it might mean we need to, to repent and, and change the way that we are living. But actually, if we want to see God's kingdom come, if we want to see God's kingdom come in an ever-increasing measure, then it's... I just feel like surely it starts with us and allowing God to come and rule and reign ever more fully and totally in our lives. But that sometimes requires change and repentance. 
So we're to be those who experience God's rule through Jesus, but we're also to demonstrate it, and we're also to announce it, which brings me on to my third point, which is we are to prioritise bringing the kingdom. Remember what I said at the start. I said that Jesus predominantly spoke about the kingdom and spoke very little about the church. I wonder whether we've got the balance the other way around. Whether we speak and think a lot about the church, but not so much about the kingdom. We talk about building the church and how we're going to grow the church and what it is to be church, but actually how often do we speak about the kingdom and what it is to be a kingdom people and what the kingdom looks like. Matthew 16. Um, Matthew 16. Verse 13. It says that Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi and he asked his disciples, who do, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the, and, um, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The reason why I wanted to read those verses to you is this, is because in these verses and in, in this kind of conversation that Jesus and Peter has, Jesus links his building of the church with the kingdom. Can you see both of those things are in there? There's building the church, but there's also something about kingdom. He hands the keys of the kingdom to Peter, but then he affirms that he himself, Jesus, will build the church. Again, going back to, I'm taking this off of my lead notes, just to help us understand this a bit further. So the building of the church is contingent upon the unlocking of the life of the kingdom. Let me say that again. The building of the church is contingent upon the unlocking of the life of the kingdom. Jesus does one, and we do the other. Who's going to build the church? Who does Jesus say will build the church? He will. And who does he give the keys of the kingdom to? Us. And this is the challenge, I think, because how often, if we think about it, how often do we get it the other way around? Where we feel like we have to build the church. And maybe the kingdom stuff is what God does. But actually, Jesus quite clearly says, I'm the one who's going to build the church, but I've given you the keys of the kingdom. And there's something about us unlocking the kingdom and the kingdom coming. That is our responsibility. Our responsibility is not to build the church. Isn't that liberating? It's not our responsibility to build the church. Jesus has promised he will build his church, but he's given us the keys of the kingdom. So we need to be those that bring the kingdom. Why, so why have, do I say this? And why have I put this up? At the, the gathering, at the relational mission gathering back in February, was back in February, Mike Betts, who heads up relational mission, he did the first session. And he said something that really stuck, stuck with me. Uh, and he said it's something that he's going to put out there and may well be controversial, so I'm going to give it the same warning as he did. This might be something that sounds slightly controversial. But he said this. He said that there is a difference 
between demonstrating the heart of God and the kingdom of God. There is something different. There is a difference between demonstrating the heart of God and the kingdom of God. We demonstrate the heart of God in the way that we love people and the way that we care for people. Maybe through the initiatives that we do as a church, through something like Make Lunch would be a way in which we demonstrate God's heart for people. Can you see how that happens? We want to show people that they are loved. We want to reveal something of God's heart to them. And we can do it in our, in our everyday life. Just ways in which we can demonstrate the heart of God to people. And it is right. We need to demonstrate the heart of God. We need to. But the thing is, even those outside of the church can demonstrate the heart of God. They can. There are a lot of great uh, charities and organisations and initiatives that aren't church-led, that aren't church-based, where people are able to demonstrate the heart of God, whether or not that, even if they don't know that's what they're doing. And these are things that we should celebrate. Whenever the heart of God is, is demonstrated, whoever is doing it, we should celebrate it because it's good, because people need to be cared for, and people need to be loved, and people need to be looked after. But that's what it is to demonstrate the heart of God. And we need to do that. So don't hear what I'm not saying. But we also need to see the kingdom of God come. We need to see Jesus come into rule and reign in someone's life. And there's a difference between demonstrating the heart of God and demonstrating the kingdom of God. We need to be a people who do both. I think... And not just, not just for us as a church, I think the church generally demonstrates the heart of God so well. Really well. When you see what churches are doing and the way that communities are being blessed and served is amazing. But I think we also perhaps need to turn our attention to the kingdom of God. And demonstrating the kingdom of God. See, Jesus actually commissioned people to prioritise bringing the kingdom. Let's read again. Matthew, uh, we saw that in Matthew 10, but I read about when Jesus commissions the apostles. But then also in Matthew 28, God's mission, which is given to the church, is to make disciples. That's what God gave the church to do. That's what he's given his disciples to do. Go and make more disciples, men, women and children, living with Jesus as Lord. That's what Jesus has called us to And I feel like, yeah, we need to demonstrate the heart of God, but not solely that, or even at the expense of actually fulfilling the thing, the primary thing, the primary calling that Jesus has for his church. Does that make sense? And when I heard it, it was quite a lot. I was like, hang on, I need to just think on this for a little bit. But I think it's good for us to get these things out there, for us to be thinking about and to be challenged by. Now, when we did this on lead again, I'm coming, coming into a close now. When, um, when we did this on lead, looking at the kingdom, Steph Liston, who was leading the day, he said this, when he was speaking about the early church in Acts, he says that they were not political revolutionaries, but they go for one soul at a time. That was the approach of the early church. Not political revolutionaries, but they went for one soul at a time. We see conversion as the touch point in the advance of the kingdom. They don't focus on the structures of society, on Roman injustice, etc., hoping to Christianize them. What they do is they preach the gospel, trusting that as people are converted, they will influence the places into which they have been called. It's a very, very different thing. 
This is the blueprint for kingdom advance. If we ever move away from explicit evangelism, we've taken a wrong turn. So I'm just putting this out there. Actually, we need to consider. Actually, have we, have we moved away really from, from, from working to see kingdom come in terms of people coming to put Jesus as king of their lives? Do we need to realign ourselves actually with what Jesus has called the church to do? I think when we hear something like that, it can be a bit daunting. It can be a bit overwhelming. We can feel like, actually, how, what does that look like? How do we work that out? How do we work it out so that people are hearing the gospel? Does that mean that we have to be standing in the streets and, and, and just kind of streeting from, shouting from the corners? And we can maybe also feel a bit of a, an unhealthy pressure. We need to realise there's an urgency to this. But actually, this is where I think the whole thing of everyone a witness within relational mission is so helpful. Because actually there's a way in which we can make Jesus known. Remember, through words, through the things that we speak, through sharing stories, through sharing the gospel, through words, but also through works, through the things that we do. And actually, a lot of the things we do in terms of demonstrating God's heart, they're a work that reveals something of God, but then there's also got to come a point where don't we want that to lead to a conversation? As to actually, why, is, why are you doing this? And what does, what does this mean? So through works, but also through wonders. Prophesying over people. Seeing people being healed. Kind of the activity of the kingdom going on as well. <coughs> See, as we live countercultural lives in our workplaces and our neighbourhoods, people will realise and people will notice. They will. If you live a life that is countercultural because you're living for the kingdom of God, wherever you are, in the workplace, in your neighbourhood, wherever it is, people will notice and people will realise. But then we need to be ready to explain why. Why do our lives look different? Why are we living for something different? So as we seek to live with Jesus as Lord, and as we prioritise bringing the kingdom, we do so knowing that he is present. What a comfort. This mission that he's called us to, this call to see the kingdom come in, we do so knowing that Jesus is present. The king himself is present with us. And the reason I can be so sure of that is because we can be assured of this promise because Jesus himself said it. He said, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's what those verses in Matthew 28 finish with. So we've got this call. We've been given this commission by the king. But isn't it wonderful? The king himself goes with us. He is present with us.